0: Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful, They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Oh, dear. That was actually quite heavy. I hope you're impressed. Can you see that? Anyway, we're in Romans chapter 1. This is a powerful passage. I don't know if you've read it before. I don't know if you've thought about it before, but there's a lot in it, isn't it? And it actually touches our culture. Um, This is where Christianity, where the Bible, where the church comes into conflict with the prevailing mind or the prevailing wind in our culture. There's some stuff in here that's really quite remarkable. We're going to work through it really carefully. If you've got any questions, there's an opportunity for you to ask them um, as you fill out the online Getting Connected or Welcome to Church cards. And I'm open to any question at all, so please do not be shy. Please put those questions in. There'll be an opportunity at the very end um, for you to ask those questions. But as we get stuck, and I think it'd be a really, really good thing to do to ask God for His help as we look at this bit of His Word. So let's pray. Father, we've already sung this evening that we need you, every hour we need you, and we need you now especially to send your Holy Spirit to please open up our minds, to please open up our hearts, to please help us build our lives on your words so that we understand who you are and in knowing you that we know ourselves. We thank you for what's in here. We pray that we would not live and sit above it, but hear and live and sit underneath it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, are you positive about the world in which you live or are you reasonably negative? I don't know how you feel today about it. Maybe you got up out of bed, the wrong side, and it's all gone wrong today. Maybe you got up out of bed and it's a lovely day and you're walking along, but are you positive with the world? Maybe there are no issues in the world. Indeed, maybe no issues in your world at the minute, but there is something wrong with the world. There's there's an ache, I suppose, inside of us where we think, you know, this world should be a wee bit better. Life should be a wee bit easier. I mean, you just have to look around you. Inequality, war, lack of education, COVID-19, natural disasters, Family breakdown, societal breakdown. Maybe you have already experienced several of these in your life. Maybe even very recently you've experienced it and you felt the pain and the hurt and you know it should not be like this. There is very definitely something wrong with the world. So what is it? Well, a couple of weeks ago we started chewing our way through Romans chapter 1 where there's a great declaration about a man called Jesus Christ. You see that in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1. Jesus Christ is dot, dot, dot. And then last week we heard about how this message of Jesus Christ was reaching right into the lives and hearts of people who were Caesar worshippers, In the city of Rome, where Caesar was king, he was a civil authority, he was a spiritual authority, and you had to bend the knee and declare that Caesar is Lord. But there was a small group of people, a growing group of people who were declaring that Jesus is Lord. If you have a look at verse 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1, have a look. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's a massive claim, isn't there, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, that there is a true and a living God, that there is a true and living God, and that he has spoken He has revealed himself. He's pulled the curtain back and he's revealed who he is and how we're to relate to him. And that happens in a message the message about Jesus. So there's a revelation of the gospel in verses 16 and 17. But then there's a revelation of his wrath in verse 18 onwards. I, I don't know if you're a Christian. I don't know what you think about God. But, but I'm sure perhaps, and probably by and large, most of us don't really want to think about a God who's angry, who has wrath. That's not the kind of teddy bear, cuddly God that we like to believe in. You see, we like to believe in a God who's soft, who will turn a blind eye to great and small, major and minor misdemeanors. That's the kind of God that we want. In fact, that's by and large the kind of God that the man in the street, woman in the street wants. A God who's almost indifferent, certainly loving, but not with wrath. Please, whenever you hear the word wrath and God, The Bible does not portray God as a monster. So whenever you hear the word wrath and God, do not think that's the angry, capricious God who just with a moment's notice, maybe even without notice, could flare up and explode and send a, a lightning bolt down in my direction. No, no, that's not the wrath that's described here. This is the righteous wrath of God, which is revealed From heaven. Have a look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God's anger, God's hurt, God's wrath is revealed. This is a God who's angry. The true and the living God is one who actually is not indifferent to human beings, to his creation's attitude towards him. P- please just suspend your thinking for a moment and, and listen to this. That's the kind of God that you want, actually. A God who's not indifferent. A God who doesn't care. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Indifference. But the true and the living God is not indifferent to humanity, and that's actually God that I'm interested in. Because he's the God who's interested in us. He's not the God who left the carpet and sweep all of humanity's misdemeanors and crimes and all of that stuff, and sweep it under the carpet. And I actually think that is a satisfying kind of thing to think about, isn't it? That those things matter. And God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all of it, all of it. Now, what would you expect in the next few verses? I guess the kind of thing that you'd expect is that God does send a lightning bolt. God does send an explosion. God does create havoc and wrecks people and wrecks things because that's, after all, I guess what you would do If someone or something that you've created and that you've loved turns its back on you and kind of sticks two fingers in your face, how will you react? Well, you'd probably smash it, wouldn't you? That might be what you're expecting in the next few verses. But listen on and listen up because you will be surprised. How is God's wrath revealed? Well, the answer is most stunning. God's wrath is revealed by giving every single human being in the world what they want. We want autonomy from God. We want to be independent from God. We shake our puny fists in God's face and say, I'm going to run my life my way. And God says, okay, fill your boots. Go for it. So, what's in these next few words? That God's wrath has been revealed because God's truth has been concealed. Listen to verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Do you know there's no one in the world today who can say they don't know about God? That's the claim from these verses. Paul makes this claim. It's almost as if he's defending God, isn't it? That that people kind of are rejecting of him and that's expressed through their concealment of the truth about him. And how does Paul work out for us exactly how all of that works? Well, verse 19... He says, what may be known about God is absolutely plain. So anyone who's ever been born, who's ever walked in this earth, who's ever walked and looked up at the sky or seen a bird or heard a bird call or seen the moon and the stars and seen a train, the complexity of the train, seen the complexity of the human body, felt love. No human being looking at all of that can say there is no God. Of course, there'll be those who do say that but push and pick and ask, are you utterly consistent with that claim that there is no God? See, Paul is making it really clear that the truth about God is absolutely plain and clear. There is a God, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, like we're talking early doors, we're talking the year dot, zero, Since then, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Look at creation. Look at the complexity of creation. Look at the variety of creation. Look at the vastness of creation. So the people are without excuse. No one can say, I didn't know on that last day. When God comes to judge, no one can say, well, look, I didn't know about you. God will be able to justifiably say, because his righteousness, this is a a righteous anger, this is a righteous wrath, this is a justified wrath. No, no, it's absolutely clear, of course I exist. Do you really think something has come from nothing? The truth is concealed, it's absolutely clear. But the truth has been exchanged. In our concealment of the truth, we've decided, no, no, that's all very obvious. Yes, okay, that's all very obvious. But instead of believing that stuff, we'll believe this stuff, or we'll exchange the obvious truth that there is a God, a true and a living God, the incredible true and living God, the awesome true and living God, the powerful true and living God. We would rather not have him. We would rather have, instead, by exchange, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their hearts, foolish hearts, were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What you need to do to understand this is go right back to the start of our story, the the human being story, right back to Genesis chapter one. What happens? This perfect good world is created and Adam and Eve, they're to rule the world under God. So you can imagine like this, God is at the top, Adam and Eve are here and creation's here. If everyone can see that, God, Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, mankind, and creation. But what happens in the garden? Well, well, you know the story, I guess, of Genesis chapter 1. You may not know the story. It would be worthwhile reading it. We'll not reference it now. Go back to it now. Genesis chapter 1. God is ruling over Adam and Eve, who are ruling over creation. But what happens? Well, one of God's creation begins to lead Eve, who then begins to lead Adam. Adam. God said, Don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. There's loads of other trees. Eat from them, but don't eat that one. But a serpent slithers up to Eve and says, Eve, did God really say it? Did he really mean it? Doubt was cast on God's very explicit, very clear word. So what happens? God, who is the God, ruling over Adam and Eve, who they in turn ruling over God's creation, what happens? That order is completely flipped. Where creation rules over Adam and Eve, who then rule over God. I hope you can visualize that because it is a clear swap, isn't it? A clear flip. Creation, in the form of a serpent rules over Adam through his wife who then rule over, in turn, God. It's all flipped. And what happens is, in effect, that Adam doesn't worship God any longer. He worships his wife and them both together worship God's creation. Romans chapter 1 reflects Romans or Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Do you see the connection? And we know it's that way. We conceal the truth. Adam and Eve tried to conceal the truth that they had actually let creation rule them instead of God. They tried to hide from God. They tried to hide the, the facts that they had rebelled and reacted against God. They had de-godded God. And the truth is exchanged. The clear and plain truth is exchanged. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. That's you, by the way. That's me. That's the sweetest granny or the most angry eight-year-old. The sweetest eight-year-old Or the most angry granny. Do grannies get angry? Everyone. This is our issue. We have right at the very core of our being, right in the very center of us, what have we done with the obvious truth that there is a God and he is the rightful king and ruler? What have we done with it? We suppressed it because we don't want it to be the case. What about my autonomy, God? What about my freedom? How dare you curtail my freedom? How dare you stop me having fun? How dare you stop me being self-determining? How dare you? Who do you think you are God? So instead of worshiping God, I'm gonna worship the stuff you've made. You see this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? What did they do? This is the ultimate foolishness, isn't it? Verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. you hear that word? The glory of the immortal God the eternal God, the everlasting God, the God who has no beginning and no end. We've exchanged that truth for his glory. And what would we rather have? We would rather have images that have been shaped and fashioned to look like human beings, to look like birds. And if you think of these three levels, we would rather worship birds Or other animals, ground animals. You've got sky, ground, and now reptiles, those that are right on the ground, crawling. We prefer them, God, to you. We prefer the things that are temporary, temporal, the things that won't last. We prefer them to you, God, the things that we have fashioned, the things that we have made. We know that you have made us in your own image. We know all of that, God, but we would rather have the things that you have made. We would rather create idols. Now, of course, we're very, very intelligent 21st century Westerners. We're not like those simpletons who have carved idols and bow down and worship them. We're not simple. Sure, we're not. Well, actually, what are the things that grab our attention? Could be relationship. Do you live for that Relationship that you worship the idol of your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It might be that you worship the idol you buy down and it holds you money or reputation or material things. It might be your own physique, your own reputation, your own self. It might be you might worship yourself. Anything other than the true and the living God. We would prefer, we would rather do that because that thing is controllable. He can't, the true and the living God, can't control me. How dare he! Instead, I'm gonna worship a something that you have made God. The truth is concealed. Our hearts are darkened. We can't even see. We can't even think. Straight. Our hearts are so confused, so distorted. So, Paul, at the start of Romans, after he's spoken about Jesus Christ and he speaks about this message getting to the ends of the earth, is outlining the really, really, really bad news first before he outlines the good news. And he takes chapters 1, 2, And three, to outline the really, really, really bad news. Because without the bad news, you won't feel as if the good news is good. You won't be begging Paul to tell you. This truth exchange is a truth denial. And every human being creates their own universe, creates their own world in which they will occupy center stage. And this has impacted absolutely every aspect of our lives, particularly how we see and treat other people. In the next few verses, we're gonna be here hearing how our, our distortions have so affected how we think sexually about other people and then how we simply treat other people. This concealment of the truth, this distortion of the truth, this exchange of the truth for a lie causes us to deny our nature I need to do some defining. Nature here doesn't mean a psychological thing, a thing in our mind. Well, it does connect to that. Of course, it connects to that. But in Paul's mind, is our physical nature remember he's already in the few verses beforehand talked about it is plainly seen. It is clearly seen. Just open up your eyes and you can see that there's a God. Well, we've so distorted the truth about God that it affects how we look at the same sex. Listen to verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So, what do human beings do? Well, what does God do? Listen to this stunning verse, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Remember I said earlier on? What's the stunning message of this? It is that God has given us what we want, and that's what has happened here, certainly in terms of of how we use our bodies. God has given us over to it. He's handed us over. We imagine we're free. Society believes that every single individual is free, exercising the absolute right to absolutely every kind of choice. But what we don't realize is that our freedom is not, well, it's a given freedom to do what we want. It's a freedom in the midst of the confusion and the truth exchange within our minds. And it leads us to deny. In the way that we deny that God is God and we would rather worship the things that He's made instead of Him, we deny how we're made. Our nature. And you see what's happened? Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. And that manifests itself in the single-gendered sexual relationships of verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. (laughs) Typical Paul. Homophobic Paul. Misogynistic in other parts. But Paul, you've really topped it now, haven't you? This is sheer homophobia, isn't it, Paul? in the world and in the church, these verses cause significant problems. But what you've got to do is read these verses in the place that they're placed. Read before, read after, and see exactly what is... You've got to be fair to Paul. You might want to react against Paul and walk out of the building this evening or switch off the camera or... uh, Not the camera, please don't switch off the camera. The, the, The iPad or whatever you're watching this on, and think, ah, typical Christians. Well, just for a moment, just for one moment, just listen to his argument, follow his argument. What has he been saying from verse 18? He's being, God is obvious, everyone. How things ought to be, it's just obvious. God, the invisible God, has been seen in what he has made. His power, his qualities, has been seen in what has been made. Use your eyes, look around, see the nature of things. And then what do you have? Truth exchange. We suppress the truth, we know the truth, we keep suppressing it, we push it with our feet, and we try to get it under the carpet even more. We try to squeeze it that it doesn't exist. We can't. And then he moves on to verses 26 and 27. Do you follow his logic? Just You've got to be fair to Paul and follow his logic. Just listen to what he's saying. God is obvious. How we're to conduct ourselves sexually is obvious. It's a basic physiological question, isn't it? And he's making the point, isn't he, that you know, this is really obvious. But we have so suppressed the truth and we have so suppressed how we handle one another in this arena that we have got ourselves confused and we're not recognizing God's createdness of us and how he's made us. That's what the word nature refers to here. And just a little excursus for a moment. You may be someone who experiences same-sex attraction. That's a painful place to be. I have a number of friends who experience same-sex attraction. And what are you to do? Well, God has very clearly said that sexual expression is within a two gendered, permanent, committed marriage only. Everyone here deals with lust. And the particular direction in which that lust goes, well, that's must under God's direction, painful as it is. For the heterosexual person who struggles in that particular area, for the homosexual person who struggles in that particular, the answer is the same. Sex is to be between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. The world is so turned upside down that that it really can't recognize that or even allow for that. Since the sexual revolution of the 1960s and the 1970s, what I want to do with whomever I want has become a matter of civil rights, has become a matter of basic identity, has become a matter of... This is where the conflict emerges. Nature is denied. Order, then, is declined. By the way, if you want to pick up, uh, make a comment, please, and chat about that. We would love to help. Please just speak to us through the Welcome to Church card. Nature's denied. As truth has been concealed, as God's wrath has been revealed, and finally, God's order is declined. We just don't like the way God wants us to live. We don't like his rule. And it impacts on every aspect of our lives. Earlier verses there are in terms of sex. But listen, you might say, Paul, you're sex obsessed or you're homophobic. But listen what he has to say because he moves into absolutely every area, every aspect, every kind of person that's ever walked the face of this earth is walking now or will walk on the face of this earth. And you are included in this. And please, please, please don't tell me that this is not true. You will recognize yourself. You will recognize the world in which you live in the next few words. Listen. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Here we go. We think we're free, but actually God has handed us over to it. Fill your boots, God has said. Go for it and let's see how it works out. How does it work out? It's a complete disaster. Wars. Genocides. Societal breakdown. Marital breakdown. All of the painful things within our lives We're beneficiaries of it. We benefit, if you can say a benefit, if you can use the word benefit, we benefit from the brokenness of the world. We feel the pain of it, but we also dole it out. We're beneficiaries and benefactors of the mess of the world. Verse 28, therefore, furthermore, the argument is building and building and building some people might stop at verse 27 and say, I'm dismissing Paul. Well, just move move on and get into verse 29 because you'll see everything, everything is affected as a result of this truth exchange. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to depraved mind to do what not ought to be done. In the bodies early on, kind of verse 26, 27, 24, 25, that's to do with bodies. Here we go, minds, inner minds, inner, inner selves, and your inner being, and this describes you, you're included in all of this. They have become filled with, listen to this, wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Ooh, <laughs> this is going to be fun. These next few words, these next statements, adjectives, people descriptors, are you ready? Because I'm sure you can find yourself in one of these categories, if not more than one, full of envy. (laughs) Have you ever felt that, envy? Someone's got new shoes. Someone's got a better mark than you. Someone's got a better house than you. And you kind of think, hmm. I should have thought. Hmm. Murder. Sorry. Greed? Wickedness? Depravity. Then they're full of what? Envy and murder. Now the way this list is written in the original, it's quite lyrical and quite rhythmical and quite musical. Because a number of the words in Greek begin with or have similar sounding letters. And here's the first example. They're full of envy and murder. In the original, the beginning of the similar sound. Envy, murder. See how closely linked those two things are? Envy, murder, strife. Hassle amongst people. So there are four descriptors, verse twenty-nine. Then the second half of verse 29, there are five of these. Envy, one, murder, two, strife, three, deceit, malice. Then, here we go, descriptors of people in the relationship with other people. They are gossips. So in the same breath, Paul is saying all that he said in verse 24, 25, 26, 27, those controversial verses, he said all of that, and then what does he move on to? Gossip. Our fallenness, our brokenness, our depravity, our hatred of God is expressed through gossip. So there's nothing wrong with gossip, a wee bit of a wee bit of the business, a wee bit of biz. Kind of just, wee, what's the goss? So I'm done with the kids. This is where my children, who are in this building at the moment, are dropping their heads and denying me. But remember, I'm in control of my will. Um, they're gossips, slanderers, closely connected, God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Do you know any arrogant people? Well, they're utterly intolerable, aren't they? Arrogant people. But then, you might be a boastful person. And the arrogant people might say, well, you just boast. That's connected, isn't it? Arrogant, evil, insolent, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil. Now, let me see. Why don't we fly two plane loads of people into two building loads of people? Wouldn't that be clever? They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. <laughs> Did this describe the world we're in? I believe what the Bible says is true. In fact, I'm convinced that what the Bible says is true because it describes my experience of the world. It describes my experience of myself. They disobey their parents. Senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthlessness is a characteristic. We rip each other up on social media. We rip each other up into formal print media. We rip each other apart. We're like dogs. In a fight, biting and biting and biting each other till the death, because we want to rise to the top. I mean, after all, at the end of the day, I have a right to be at the top of the pile, don't I? And I will do anything. I will tramp on anyone who gets in my way. That's what we think. That's what we do. That's what we are. Do you recognize this in the world that you live? If you've been asleep for the last 60 years, 70, 80 years of your life, well, then maybe you don't. But just one day, take a walk, read the newspapers. And all in the context of knowing the truth. Now, in chapter 2, He'll be speaking about God's special people, the Jews. And this is a hint. He's going in that direction. However, he's talking universally here. Although they know God's righteous decree, and that might be in the conscience. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Oh, two, build, two plain loads of people into two building loads of people. Oh, that was really good. Well done. Oh, that's, a, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, fantastic. Well done. That made its mark, didn't it? It changed the West. That's how the West has been changed since 2001, 9-11. And there were those who were applauding. Bin Laden. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who do them. That's our world. That's Jesus. That's God's anthropology. How does He see us? Well, we're handed over, aren't we, to what we want as we've suppressed the truth about Him. And look at how that's worked out. Has that gone good? It hasn't. We've rebelled against God, we've reacted against everyone in the world. It's a mess an absolute mess how are we going to get out of it? What's going to happen? We're completely lost. We've been handed over by God. What's going to happen? Well, this is why Jesus is such good news. You're included in this, by the way. You're included in the handing over to this, by the way. What hope is there for you? What hope is there for me? Well, the first few words of Romans speaks of that hope. And its name is Jesus. Jesus comes. And Jesus bears God's wrath. Willingly, lovingly giving his life instead of me, instead of you. Hanging on the cross, breathing his last as he shouts out, It is is finished. so that we could be forgiven. When you get into chapter three, it's all about Jesus. How Jesus puts his hand up from the start of eternity, if it's possible to have the start of eternity, and offers himself to be the sacrifice of atonement for our sins so that you could be forgiven, so that you can have life, so that you can have peace with God, so that you can have eternal life with God when this life is over. In fact, eternal life begins when you become a Christian. Hearing all this stuff, I don't know how you think about yourself. I don't know how you think about God. Did any of this resonate with you this evening? Maybe some of you here want to say, "Ah, oh, I'm in such a mess, God. This accurately describes my life, God. This accurately describes the world in which I live. This accurately describes all of me and all about me. I know I'm in a mess. I know I have messed up like the next man, like the next woman. How can I get out of this? Well, the incredible news of the book of Romans, this whole letter is that you can be forgiven. Very simply, when you say, sorry. We're going to take a moment, and maybe you want to say that to Jesus this evening. Maybe you want to say, please forgive me. Please don't hold your anger against me any longer. And the incredible thing is that Jesus' anger, God's anger was placed on Jesus, on Jesus' shoulders, turned away from you. And when we ask for forgiveness, we will be forgiven. There's some words in the screen. I'm going to read them now, and then I'm going to pray them. I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to pause, and maybe you want to echo what I say in your heart, but I'm going to read them out so that you know what I'm going to say. Dear God... I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me, that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me. Change me. That I may live with Jesus as my ruler. I want to pause and bow our heads. I'm gonna pray these words slowly, and if that's something like what you want to say to God this evening, just say them in your own heart as I pray them. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me that I may be forgiven Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me. Please change me. That I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.